for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a high great mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like the most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, twelve thousand stadia. The length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, a hundred and forty-four cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it, and its gates will never be, but nothing ever unclean will enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. The word of the Lord.
Please pray with me. Holy God, we thank you that you are not a God who is silent, but you speak. We thank you for your word this morning. And that when you speak, things happen. Mountains move, paths are made, and the sea, what was once impossible, becomes possible. Lord, open our ears, open our eyes, that we might hear and understand and we might see and perceive what you have to say to us this morning. Use my words, use my voice, use my thoughts, Lord, that everything this morning would be for your glory. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning, Maple Valley Church. It is so good to be here with you. Um, Although this is kind of different, of course, because you're not here. And I just have to say, I kind of miss you all. Uh, Right about now, uh, if I look over to the right, I would be seeing the Holtzes and the Teddies. Uh, If I look over here in the middle, you'd have the Thompson family over here most days. And then you'd have the Seelofs up in front. And I even miss over here on the left, you know, you would have Daniel taking notes like crazy. Uh, You would have Isaiah getting everyone into trouble. Uh, You might even have Karsten getting everyone into trouble, too, just to be fair. I even miss how uh, the Wooster girls, you know, they live two minutes away, and somehow they're always 20 minutes late. Uh, It's just something that I really miss. I'm not angry. I'm not upset. Uh, But I just, what I would give to see that again, them just coming through the back, right? Uh, All of this is just to say, Uh, Sundays are not the same without you. And yet, yet praise God, because look at these resources, look at these means we have to stay connected as one body, as one family. And what a privilege it is that we get to come together today, even if it's online, to worship the goodness of God. So God is to be praised. And as Steve Bodwill would say, we are truly living, blessed, and spoiled. Amen. Since September, we have been studying the book of Revelation. And if you're joining us for the first time this morning, or if it's been a while and you need some of a refresher since it's been since September since we've covered this, I just want to take the first few minutes uh, at the beginning here to kind of lay out the circumstances that led John to write the book of Revelation. Now, early in the first century, around the year 30, the Christians had experienced the resurrection of Jesus. They witnessed for themselves the outpouring of the Holy Spirit during Pentecost, and even within their communities, they were seeing lives, both great and small, being transformed by the good news of the gospel. And although they lived under the colonial rule of Rome, they still held on to the promises of Jesus that one day he would return. And he would establish God's rule and God's kingdom to the ends of the earth. Of course, about 60 years later, some of these Christians started wondering where in the world God was at. Because as far as their eyes could see, there was a kingdom being established and there was a kingdom being expanded. But its name was Rome. Now, at first, the Christians did their best to separate themselves from Rome. Uh, They rejected the Roman way of life. They refused to worship Caesar as God. And they were even willing to suffer persecution 
for the sake of proclaiming Jesus Christ alone as King and Lord. But then, some time passed again, and the Christians couldn't help but to question, is it really worth not compromising with Rome? Is it really worth not living that Roman life? After all, the Roman Empire promised peace and prosperity, and that life under the rule of Caesar would be like heaven on earth. And to be fair to those, question, to those Christians who were questioning, it kind of looked that way. It really did. Uh, with Rome came a system of roads and streets that made traveling far more safer and far more efficient than it had ever been in history. With Rome came an imperial army that totaled 450,000 men at its peak, ready to take down any threat at its gates. Business was never better than under Rome. The resources seemed endless under Rome. And even the entertainment was top-notch with Rome. You could walk to the Colosseum for your gladiators, your chariot races, and if you're an introvert like me, there was chess and some books. Life was, life was great. Extroverted, introverted, it was perfect. So while you had some Christians doing their best to separate themselves from the Roman way of life, you had other Christians who were starting to buy this story of peace and prosperity and heaven on earth that Rome was selling. And as Rome's power grew by the day, the former group of Christians started to lose their hope in God's return while the latter group of Christians started putting all their hopes in the promises of Rome. It's to both these communities and all these communities, the tired resistors and the misguided compromisers, that Jesus addresses through John in the book of Revelation. In this pastoral and prophetic and Holy Spirit-inspired work, John invites the readers, these communities, to experience an apocalypse, which in the Greek, as we've covered, means to unveil or to reveal or to pull back the curtains. In other words, the book of Revelation is not trying to give a play-by-play of what exactly is going to happen in the future, but its purpose is to awaken Christians to the reality of their present moment. I'm not sure if Aiden or Declan really got that, so let me put it this way. If you've ever seen the movie The Matrix, you know how there's Morpheus who offers the red pill. In the same way that the red pill reveals to Neo that his life is not exactly what he thinks it is, the book of Revelation is meant to stir and awaken Christians, open their eyes to what is actually going on in their lives. So over 20 chapters, Jesus through John reveals many things. How those who believed themselves to be rich, such as the church in Laodicea, were in fact poor. How those who believed themselves to be alive and vibrant, such as the church in Sardis, were in fact dead inside. How some, such as the church in Ephesus, really took pride in that they were teaching truth, but they had forgotten their first love. And how some, such as the church in Thyatira, were known for their charitable deeds, but they tolerated lies and allowed them to take root. And there was no greater lie, no greater deception 
in their community and in their world than the promises of Rome, which presented itself as a spring of living water, but was in fact a cup of wine, sure to intoxicate, but never quenching life's deepest thirst. Because Caesar was no god, but a beast. And the Pax Romana, this piece of Rome, was but a guise for fear and violence. And although Rome presented itself as the biggest power in the world, the reality was there was something greater than Roman power, something more life-giving than the Roman way. And at the end of the day, Rome did not get the last word on history. Because the one who truly reigned and the one who truly conquered was the lamb who was slain and is the lamb who was slain. Jesus is greater than Roman power. Jesus gives more life than the Roman way. And Jesus himself directs the course of history. And so he invites these communities to unhitch themselves from the stories that Rome has convinced them to live by. Rome is neither that heavenly city that satisfies, nor is it the unstoppable force of the day that wins in the end. But there's a different story, one in which God rules, and one where he promises to those who persevere, to those who conquer, a new city. And in this city, there is true peace, true hope, and it is ruled by a power that can never be overcome. It's to this new reality, this new city, that John directs their attention and our attention too in the 21st chapter of Revelation. In 27 verses, we are presented here in Revelation 21 to an overwhelming vision of a of prophetic fulfillment and eschatological hope, and that's just a fancy word for saying like end-time hope. Here we have references to Genesis and Leviticus and Exodus. I don't know why I went Leviticus first, but Exodus, Leviticus, Hosea, Daniel, Ezekiel, Isaiah. And to break down all 27 verses would take at least another sermon or two. And Rob did tell me he was going to stay after another hour or so, so I can go for two hours. But I'm not going to do that to you this morning. Instead, I just want to kind of focus on these three truths that are communicated through this vision that we see in Revelation 21. Three truths. And, and they're this. First, Jesus alone gives peace. Second, Jesus alone gives hope. And finally, Jesus alone gets the last word. Peace, hope, last word. Let's jump on in. First, to those Christians who have put their trust in Rome to provide safety and peace, Jesus calls them to consider finding their peace elsewhere. Because this Pax Romana, this peace of Rome that they know is really built on fear. And where there is fear, that can never be peace. Rome offers this insubstantial peace like empires before. The Egyptians offered peace, but only at the cost of enslaving those pesky Israelites. You had to be okay with that for the peace. The pesky Israelites eventually became the kingdom of Israel, and they offered peace 
but only at the cost of neglecting the alien and the orphan and the widow. And so, too, the Roman Empire offered peace, but only at the cost of murdering and dominating every other nation that threatened its place in the world. In other words, what the Roman Empire offered wasn't peace at all. Because peace is not something that benefits the few at the cost of the many. Nor is true peace built up or sustained by actions that are violent or selfish or neglectful or that builds up barriers that distinguishes between us insiders and them outsiders. This is the sort of peace that Rome offers. And this is the sort of peace that the world can imagine. The only sort of peace the world can imagine But Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 27, peace I give to you. And I do not give it as the world gives it. I do not give it as Rome gives it. So do not be troubled. And do not be afraid. And don't settle for this incomplete peace. Because God is bringing a new city a new sort of reality where the peace will be complete because the fear will be no more. Revelation 21, verse 1, the sea, that place which represents the beast and all the chaotic and demonic forces which threaten human life, that source of threat and fear will have no place in this city. Look over at verse 8, the liars, the murderers, the fearful, all those who violate what God has made sacred, they too will have no place to dwell. Because in this city there will be no night and thus no darkness for them to hide or operate in. In fact, the city will be so secure that unlike any ancient city before it, the gates will never be shut. But the doors will be left wide open and all the nations of the earth, all of human culture and diversity will bring their God-given glory into it. And then we won't consider these nations as threats or outsiders that need to be dealt with outside the city gates. Only in this sort of reality where compassion replaces neglect, where embrace replaces exclusion, Where love of the enemy, love of the stranger, love of the neighbor overcomes barriers, can there be true peace free from fear? Jesus welcomes those who have subscribed to the peace of Rome and those of us today who are trying to find peace anywhere and everywhere to find our rest in the story of God. And in this story, the peace doesn't belong to the strongest and the biggest And the peace is not to be found in our savings or our careers or in our health or in our citizenship as Americans or South Koreans, I'm sorry, family, or any other country. But the peace is to be found in Jesus Christ alone, in his work alone, and in the kingdom that he is bringing alone. The first point is don't settle on an incomplete peace but look forward to and live into the real peace that is coming. Second, to those Christians 
who are caught up in a story of despair. And to those of you today who are crushed by life's circumstances and your hope in God's return is waning just a little bit this morning, to you, Jesus says, that this city also belongs to you. This new reality is also for you. And here in the words of the prophet Isaiah, never again will it be said that a child has lived but only a few days or an old man has failed to live to a ripe age. Never again will it be said here that a student in Maple Valley has nothing to eat or a family in Seattle has nowhere to sleep or a community in Brunswick, Georgia has suffered a senseless loss of life. Never again will it be said, because the promises of God are faithful and true and do not fail. And God is promising to make all things new. The word new here in the Greek is kainos, which means not to replace, but to refresh or to make of a higher quality. In other words, God isn't looking to neglect or abandon creation and then take us out into some heavenly realm. But instead, God is in the process of rebooting, refreshing, remaking, and giving to us a creation, a world that is truly good and free of the pain and the mourning and the death we have come to know all too well. Which means that the church of Smyrna did not suffer in vain. And the church of Philadelphia, their patience will be rewarded. And even today, Maple Valley Church, the troubles we go through today will find their end in God's tomorrow. Because while Rome can't offer this hope, and the world can't offer this hope, Jesus can and he will. And when the new heavens and the new earth arrive and this new city comes into view, God himself will step down into history, stretch out his hand and wipe away every tear from your eyes. The tears you cry today as you face an uncertain tomorrow. The tears you cry at night when you believe that everyone else has fallen asleep. The tears caused by wounds that you have come to believe are unhealable. And even the tears you cause in others on the worst of your days. Every fear will be gone and every tear will be wiped away on the last day. Because the last truth communicated by this vision is this. Jesus gets the last word. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Jesus gets the last word. Often as humans, we want to get the last word in. I just think about some of the conversations, or better yet, arguments that I have with Jill, my wife, uh, and how I always want to get that final statement in, you know, that clinching argument to make sure I won so I can feel good about myself. But I don't think this is just a marital thing. I think this is a human thing. If we look at the scriptures, if we look back to Genesis, it shows that at the very first opportunity, humans 
wanted to judge good and evil for themselves. We want to set the terms for our lives. We want to author our own stories. And, well, history has shown we're not too good at it. We're so prone to faithlessness. We know failure all too well. And everything we create seems to lead to shame, guilt, or death. But the good news communicated by the book of Revelation, the good news communicated by the entirety of Scripture is this. We don't get the last word. No matter how hard we want it, no matter how hard we try, we don't get the last word. Jesus does. And he's decided not to leave us where we are at as we are, but by his death and his resurrection, he will take the sight of our greatest failures and transform them into a monument of his victory. Take a look at the vision. Jesus will take the 12 faithless tribes of Israel and transform them into the 12 faithful gates of the new Jerusalem, that through them all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Jesus takes the 12 spineless disciples and shapes them into the 12 strong foundations of this new city that not even the powers of hell can overcome. And he will even take the 12 stones of the Garden of Eden, amethyst and emerald and onyx and the rest, those things that remind us of what we have lost, he will take and build a home for the found. This is such good news, Maple Valley Church, that we are a new creation in Jesus Christ. And yet, that's not even the best news of this vision. Because the best news is that the city is going to measure 12,000 stadia in length, 12,000 stadia in width, and uh, 12,000 stadia in height. It's a perfect cube. I know that's pretty anticlimactic. There's nothing really exciting about a cube. I mean, unless you've watched Avengers, yay, the world is a tesseract. Uh, But that's not what we're really going for here. Uh, the, The city is not going to be exactly a cube, although that would be pretty cool. And what's being communicated here in the vision is not that the city will be this size either. But instead, this is a symbol, a metaphor pointing towards the Old Testament to another structure that was also cube-shaped. We read about this in 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 19, how Solomon prepared the inner room of the temple, this inner sanctuary. And he made it 20 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, and 20 cubits high. Another room, or another name for this room uh, that we might know is, it's called the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was that place in the tabernacle and later the temple where the presence of God dwelt. And in fact, it was so holy, I mean, after all, it was called the Holy of Holies, that there needed to be a curtain to... Uh, separate the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple, the rest of the tabernacle, lest anything unpure or unworthy or unholy be consumed and destroyed by God's presence. The point is this. If you notice in the vision, there is no temple in the city. There's no temple in all of new creation. Why? 
It's because the city itself is the temple. All of creation itself will be the temple. And not just any part of the temple, but if the dimensions are to be believed, 12,000, 12,000, 12,000, it's the holy of holies. The very place where God dwells. To put it simply, God will make his home with us. No curtain, no temple, because Jesus the Lamb has overcome any gap between us and God for good. Which means this, Maple Valley Church, human failure does not get the last word. And human sin does not get the last word. And neither does loneliness and neither does grief. Neither does cancer, neither does depression or Alzheimer's or all human sicknesses. This COVID-19 experience we're going through does not get the last word. Suicide does not get the last word. The rise of Domestic abuse in households across the United States and around the world will not get the last word. And you best better believe that systemic racism will have its final day. And so will greed, and so will war, and so will deception, and so will all forms of human exploitation. And any person, system, institution, or form of government that oppresses the weak and robs from the poor, know that your days in power are numbered that you have been weighed and found wanting because the lamb alone sits on the throne and he is coming to make this world his home. And when God comes to clean house, only goodness can remain. Only justice can remain. Only healing can remain. And only love can stay. So I have to ask you this morning, Maple Valley Church, what story are you living this morning Is it one of compromise? Is it one of fear? Is it one of despair? Is it a story ruled by circumstance? Is it a story ruled by self-sufficiency? Or if you're like me, maybe you're living all these stories, all five, and then you're creating even more, depending on the day, week, or month, or year that you find yourself in. But what might it look like to live into this story of God The story where we know where God rules and where we know that in the end, peace is possible. Hope is real. Justice will prevail. Healing will happen. And all things will be reconciled to God. What if we lived into this sort of story? Would we be more patient? Would we be more kind? Would we be more courageous? would we be more loving? I know there's days that are dark and endless, and there will be days where compromise would be better, where fear would be better, where despair would be easier, where it would just be easier to rely on ourselves for satisfaction. But Maple Valley Church, let me be clear that you will never be satisfied, you will never be content, you will never have your thirst quenched, 
till you locate yourself in the life of God, in the story of God. So this morning, if you are thirsty, if you are weak, if you are compromised, if you are fearful, if you are lonely, come to the fountain and dip your heart into the streams of life, the spring of living water that God offers without charge. Quench your thirst. Be refreshed. And live into the story of the Lamb today and every day forward. That our lives may be a witness to a broken and a suffering world. That peace is possible. The hope is real. And in the end, Jesus gets the last word. And he who at the beginning said, let there be light, will in the end say, let there be life and life abundant for all.